And then welcome. We are glad to be here in this new year. And this morning we're going to kind of be doing a one-off sermon. Usually we do sermon series here, look at books of the Bible. But how rare is it that we have a day to worship on January 1st? So I thought, why waste this opportunity to talk about what it looks like moving into the new year, to look at turning the page from 2022 to 2023 and to look forward to this year, and I think the words of English poet and hymn writer Francis Ridley Havergale are appropriate this morning. And this is what Havergale says, Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be, in working or in waiting, another year with Thee. Another year of progress, another year of praise, another year of proving Thy presence all the days. Another year of mercies, of faithfulness and grace, Another year of gladness, the glory of thy face. Another year of learning, of leaning upon thy loving breast. Another year of trusting, of quiet, happy rest. Another year of service, of witness for thy love. Another year of training for holier work above. Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be. On earth or else in heaven, another year for thee. This morning as we move forward into this year, I'm excited for what the Lord has to teach us, for what He has to show us in His Word and how He is going to continue to cultivate our lives to reflect Him each and every day. Before we jump in though, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in your midst. Lord, thank you for your presence here with us. And Lord, I just praise you for everyone that you've brought here this morning. Lord, it is not without purpose that we are here together. And so as we gather around your word today, as we hear it proclaimed, Lord, I pray that nothing that I say would get in the way of what you wish to speak today. But Lord, may I purely just be a mouthpiece for you. Lord, I pray that you would give us open ears and soft hearts to hear your word, to put it to action, and to lead to changed lives that would glorify you. We pray us all in your matchless name. Amen. Well, New Year's often brings about resolutions. It's a time when people like to make New Year's resolutions. The thought of being healthier or perhaps getting your life in order. It's a time when people start heading back to the gym. People decide to be done eating junk food and to start to care about their physical and mental health. Or at least for a few weeks till it wears off. But this morning... This morning, I want to suggest the best way to ensure for each one of us a long life and peace. And I have a surprise for you. It's not found in food or in going to the gym. We're going to be looking today at Proverbs chapter 3 to learn how we can best turn the page from 2022 to 2023. So if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. I want to give us a guide this morning for how to traverse the roads of life and the path ahead for this year. There are three main areas that I want to point out in this well-known proverb that I hope will give us a better idea of the tools that we need to make this a great year. Before we jump in, though, a little bit of background information. If you're not familiar with Proverbs, it's in the Old Testament, and Proverbs was written by King Solomon, the wisest man who lived upon the earth. In fact, we read in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5-15, through 15, where he got his wisdom. Listen to what happened to Solomon. It says in 1 Kings 3, 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. 
And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10 tells us that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, you have not asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. And that's exactly what the Lord did. The Lord gave Solomon great wisdom. The wisest man who's ever lived or ever will live. So as we examine this proverb this morning, that's the place where we come to it from, is knowing that Solomon had the Lord's wisdom when he wrote these proverbs. And these proverbs were written to his son to encourage him in the path of wisdom, to show him how to walk in the way of the Lord and how to live a life that honored the Lord. So that's the, the vein in which this is spoken as Solomon wrote. So picking up in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. It gives us an idea here of how we are to handle the difficulties that we face in life. Solomon says in verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. We're going to pause right there and look at what Solomon's saying here in the beginning of chapter 3. So there's a way in which we can choose to respond to difficulties and to life as we journey through it. And there's a human response to how we handle difficulties and often when we forget about the teachings of the Lord, we go our own way. We try to make our own path when we face difficulties. We try to pursue our own wants and our own desires above God's, what perhaps feels good to us or what makes sense in our mind as opposed to the Word of God. When difficulties come, we respond by trying harder, by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, by trying to learn more or trying to adapt to the situation we're in. And yet Solomon here gives us a better way, a way that's not a human response, but is a way of looking at the heavenly resources that are available to each one of us when we face difficulties. It starts with the word of the Lord. The Lord gives us this different way and highlights it at the beginning of this proverb when he says, don't forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. You see, if we want to learn how to best handle whatever comes our way this next year, we must start from a place of remembering the Word of God. This should be foundational in how we handle any difficulties that we may face. 
This should be foundational for how we reason in our lives, for how we handle hardship, is the word of the Lord and remembering it. The second aspect that we see here is this idea of love and faithfulness that Solomon speaks to. People who are not to neglect love and faithfulness in our lives. In fact, Solomon goes as far as to encourage his son to bind these around his neck, to write them upon his heart. To be someone who is loving and faithful, to have it so near to us that is around our neck, binded to our hearts, would mean that it is something that is, would be described when someone thinks of us, that we would be loving and faithful. And so Solomon encourages his son to not forsake these steadfast love and faithfulness. It is important to live in this manner, and when we do so, we will find favor and success, not only in the eyes of man, but more importantly, in the eyes of God. That's what Solomon says there in verse 4. He says, so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and of man. So if this is how we are to meet difficulties that arise, how are we to maintain this level of devotion? Well, we'll continue looking with me at verse 5 of how Solomon continues. And this is a really well-known verse that's often cherry-picked out, but we're going to look at it within the whole context here. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What good news Solomon points out here as he gives us these two aspects of of maintaining devotion to God. The first is this idea of a connection to God. And look at what he says there. He says, trust the Lord. Not in our own abilities, We don't move further along in life by trusting our own strength or our own abilities, but by trusting in the Lord is what Solomon is trying to teach his son to do. And the word trust here implies both the decision to trust God, but also a commitment to create a habit of trusting. Trusting in God isn't a decision that we just make in our heads. That's the first step, but then we follow it up with action. makes me think about tithing within the church that we learn about the concept of tithing, that we are to give to the Lord because He has given to us, because He's provided. But the step of action is when we actually start to give our money away to the Lord. We actually trust Him that He will provide for us, even when we give away out of what we've been given. And so Solomon encourages us to trust the Lord, and not just with part of our lives. That can be sometimes the temptation, right? Is that We'd say, yeah, we'll trust God with this side of my life, with this aspect, but I'm going to hold on to this stuff over here tightly because I want to be in control of this. Whatever this is for you, maybe that's your employment, maybe that's your job, or maybe it's your family and your kids saying, I'll trust God with retirement someday, but I don't fully trust God with my kids. And so I'm going to try to control that rather than looking to the Lord to sustain me. But Solomon doesn't let us do that. He says, trust God with all of your heart. The the center of our being, the core of who we are, is what he's talking about. That all aspects of our life would trust our Heavenly Father. And the result that he gives us is a healing to the flesh, a refreshment to the bones. What beautiful news that is for us. When we live in this manner that we are created to live in. 
It provides us with the healthiest, most fulfilling life that we can have here on earth because it is found in the Lord. Another way that we are to connect to the Lord, he tells us to lean not on your own understandings, that we're not to rely upon our own understanding or expect our wisdom to prop us up, but only to look to the Lord and to his word to do this. And it's easy in this day and age, in this culture, to believe the lies that you are enough. That's one of the most common lies out there right now, is that you are enough. And the reality is none of us are enough. The reality is none of us have the wisdom that we need to navigate this life fully. We need to go to God. We need to lean upon God to go to Him for wisdom, to allow Him to set our path straight to not try to make our own path or to look at what the world tells us is the best path because that will lead to destruction, but to go to the Lord, to trust that He will make our path straight when we look to Him and we fix our eyes upon Him. The second way that Solomon points out that we maintain this devotion to God is having an awareness of God. So it's a connection to God, but it's also being aware of God. I love how here in this verse it says that in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I actually like the NIV translation better and some of the other translations that instead of acknowledge, they use a word submit to the Lord. So they'd say in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. You see, he is in charge and control. He alone provides us with the life that we desire. He alone is the one who can make our path straight. And when we do this, we also are to seek to fear the Lord. There's an element in the life of a Christian who's following after the Lord that there should be a healthy fear of the Lord. And this fearing the Lord leads to us to turn away from evil. It may seem odd to fear the Lord. What does that mean to fear something well, I was looking up an olive tree, one of the apps that you can use to examine the Bible and get some more commentary on it. It says, fearing the Lord means to be in reverent awe of his holiness, to give him complete reverence and to honor him as the God of great glory, majesty, purity, and power. You see, there is a reverence, an awe that has continually been lost throughout the years in our culture for God. And yet that is part of the importance of fearing God as followers of Christ. An all-powerful, all-knowing God should be feared. There should be a reverence that we have towards God when we talk about Him, when we pray, when we discuss Him. It shouldn't just be flippant and passive, but we should look to God with a reverence and an awe. That's part of bringing ourselves before God and the way and the posture that we come before Him with reverence and awe. And this should lead us to turn from evil. When we turn from evil, we turn towards God. And part of this that we seek to have, the wisdom we want from God, is an awareness of what is good and what is evil so that we can walk in goodness. You see, it's so easy if we don't look to the Word of God and if we don't seek to trust God to be confused by the world and what it says is good. There's so much that the world tells us is good that is flat evil. It is completely against the Lord, completely against His ways. And yet everyone in the world says it's good and it's right. And yet God's Word says it's wrong and it's evil. And so we need to turn to the Lord. We need to grow in our fear of Him 
so that we can have an awareness of what is good and what is evil. And our jobs as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to call evil evil and to point people to goodness. We do the world a disservice when we're not willing to call evil evil. And when we just kind of placate the world and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, or I'm not going to speak out against it because it makes me uncomfortable. We need to grow in our courage to call evil evil and to trust God that he will protect us and that he will provide for us. Let's continue going and see how Solomon suggests that we can move forward in this life in verse 9. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I love how Solomon moves us forward to how we can honor the Lord in this life. If we look to God, if we trust Him, the next step is that we would want to honor Him with our lives and how we start by honoring Him with our wealth and with our first fruits. The idea here is that all that the Lord has bestowed upon us, whatever financial blessings we have, whatever possessions we have, those are to be used to honor the Lord. And that in this, we are also not to despise the discipline or the reproof of the Lord. This is the proper path that Solomon lays out for his son. And it can be hard and it can be difficult, and yet it is so necessary. There's a, a little skit that I really like, and I've used it in youth groups in the past, and you can go and Google it later, but it's Skit Guys, and it's called The Chisel. And it was too long to show in the service, but uh, a gentleman goes to prayer to the Lord and says that he wants to become more like God and go ahead and do your work on me, and, and God shows up with a chisel and starts chipping away at him. And he doesn't like it because it hurts and it makes him uncomfortable. And he, he tells the Lord, how about you leave some of that stuff that's back here that I want to hang on to and, and chisel other areas instead. And yet God in chiseling him is trying to make him reflect his glory more and more. You see, discipline and reproof from the Lord has a purpose, just like a chisel in the hand of an artist does for what is being produced. We can't always see the end result. We don't always know why God's chiseling away at parts of our life, why God is disciplining us in a certain way, or why God is directing us towards something different. But it is necessary. It is part of the refining process of making us more like Him. Because you see, without God working that refining process in my life, I'm just a sinner who doesn't look like Christ, but who looks more like the sin that's in me. And yet, when I trust God, when I allow Him to work on my life, when I allow Him to chisel away at those areas of sin, at those areas of selfishness or greed, it makes me reflect Christ more and more. But it hurts, and it's difficult, and it's challenging. And so our response as Christians is not to try to get out of the difficulty, not to flee the reproof and the discipline of our Lord, but to trust and submit to Him in the process. So don't reject the setbacks or the obstacles that you face, but look to the Lord and trust that He is using those to refine us, that He is using those to make us look more like Him. I love the quote from Thomas Edison. You've probably heard it before. There's a couple variations of it, but the one that I found said, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. 
You see, some people would look at those thousand steps and say that's failure. He messed up a thousand times. But he looked at it as those are progress and steps towards the final product that he was trying to find. When we find ourselves being disciplined, failing or experiencing reproof, my hope is that we can look at it with an attitude of what does the Lord wish to teach us? What are these steps that are moving us towards being like Christ? How is he sanctifying us in these lessons? And how can we honor him? And this leads to a prosperous path, as Solomon points out. The result of honoring the Lord with our wealth and our first fruits, he tells us, is that we will be prosperous. He says that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The picture here in the, in the Hebrew, the imagery of a wine trough that's so filled with wine that's bursting forward is an image of abundance and plenty. Yet I like what scholar Lindsay Wilson is commentary on Proverbs says related to this. He says, these verses in Proverbs are sometimes used by proponents of the prosperity gospel teaching, but this is to misuse them. First, there is no promise of abundant wealth any more than there was a promise of long life and peace in verse 2. To claim a proverb as a promise is to misunderstand this type of literature. A proverb describes only part, not the whole of life and so is not always applicable in a given situation or at a given time. Thus, Jesus, despite honoring the Father with his whole life, had neither a long life nor barns filled with plenty. Second, the material prosperity is not linked with the size of the monetary gift, but with the character honoring the Lord. I love that Lindsay uh, Wilson points out that Jesus, who honored God in all ways, did not live what we would think of as a prosperous, long life with barns filled or with lots of riches. And yet he was still prosperous because he was near to God. The prosperous path that we choose when we honor the Lord is one of him meeting our needs, of him providing us with his presence, and ultimately of him giving us an eternity with him. What more could we want than eternity with the God of the universe? This proverb is so rich, providing us with a roadmap of sorts for this coming year of how we can honor the Lord in 2023. But I want to suggest three ways that we can apply this today and in the days coming forward to honor the Lord. The first is to learn and remember the teachings of God. It is foundational to the Christian life that we learn the teachings of God. At times, perhaps this may feel overwhelming to you. Or maybe you're not even sure where to start. You're new to the faith or just getting around to picking up your Bible and you have great intentions this year to learn God's Word more. And I would suggest that you pick a book to start with in the Bible. John is a great book to start with. The Gospel of John, which walks through the life of Jesus. And read through it. Study it. Or if you've done that before, pick a topic or a theological idea that you've never explored like grace or sanctification. And study and read more about it. Learn God's word. Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Fenman suggests a three-step formula to follow when trying to learn something new. And he calls it the Fenman technique. And this is how he suggests that we can learn. He says, get a notebook out, write the topic you're learning at the top of the page, and explain it from start to finish as if you were explaining it to a child. If your first response is, um, how do I explain quantum mechanics to a child? 
He says, remember that XKCD, which was a webcomic, once explained rocket science using only a thousand of the most common words in the English language. That's the key here, he said. When you're writing out explanations for an eight-year-old, you can't hide behind complicated jargon that you don't really understand. And so we could study the Bible in the same way, exploring topics or a book of the Bible, to grab a piece of paper, to write grace at the top, to study through Scripture what it says about grace, and then find a way that you could articulate that even to one of the kids in our church and learn it, allow it to sink deeply, know the truths and teachings of God, and then put them into practice. second aspect of honoring God this year is that we would seek to grow in our trust of God. I've been thinking a lot lately about trusting God, about how easy it is to get caught up in our own preferences or ideas or our own ways of doing things and how so often that's related to a lack of trust in God. Our concerns, our anxieties, our fears can often be boiled down to simply not trusting God when we move to a deeper level of examining where those come from. An example for you is this past week I was preparing for Christmas Eve and I was thinking about it a lot. I was praying about it a lot. I was working hard on my sermon for Christmas Eve. And I kept thinking about more things I could do to prepare. Wanting it to be a great service, a chance to reach out to people who perhaps would come who don't know Jesus. And as I was spending time in prayer, the Lord just reminded me it's not my job to convert people. It's not my job to bring people in here on Christmas Eve. It is the Lord's job. And it is the Lord who works in hearts. Now, that doesn't give me an excuse to not do any work. That doesn't mean that I don't finish writing my sermon because I just say, oh, it's the Lord's job. But it means that I trust God, that I let go, that I don't work the extra hours I could have worked trying to take things into my hands or trying to control things how I think they should go, but that I trust God. I rest in Him and His goodness, trusting that He is at work in our midst. What do you need to trust God with today? What do you need to turn over to the Lord this year that you've been holding on to, that you've been trying to control or, or do in your own way? And yet part of what the Lord is working on you in your life is saying, let go and give it to me. Trust me that I am good and that I am at work in your life, even when you don't see it, because God is at work. God is at work in your life. He is at work in the life of our church and he is at work in our world. And so we need to grow in our trust of him. This leads me to my last suggestion, which is a pretty obvious one, that we would honor God with our life this year. No matter what, may we choose the path this year that honors God. Will it be challenging at times? Yes. Will you face critique, possibly, if you follow God's way? Most likely. But will it be worth it? A hundred percent. God's way is the best way. Look at what Solomon says in verse 4. He says, So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. That's what he says will happen when we put into practice the instructions he's giving. And what better way is there to live than to find favor with God? I'm not as concerned with the finding favor with man as I am with finding favor with God. And yet Solomon tells us that that will be a byproduct of it as well. Faith honors God, and God honors our faith in Him as well. I want to share with you a story from the life of missionaries Robert and Mary Moffat that illustrates this truth and hopefully encourages us to honor God with our lives this year. For 10 years, the couple labored faithfully, 
in, what, in a country that's now called Botswana, without one ray of encouragement to brighten their way. They could not report a single convert. Now, if you missed it, I said for 10 years they labored. So for 10 years they labored without a single convert. Imagine the discouragement, the questions that are probably going on in their minds. Finally, the directors of the mission board begin to question the wisdom of continuing their work. The thought of leaving their post, however, brought great grief to this devoted couple, for they felt sure that God was in their labors and that they would eventually see people turn to Christ if they continued the course. So they stayed, and for a year or two longer, darkness continued to reign. And then one day, a friend from England sent word to the Mofats that he wanted to mail them a gift and ask them what they would like. Trusting in that time in the Lord that he would bless their work, Mrs. Moffat replied, send us a communion set. I'm sure it will soon be needed. God honored that dear woman's faith. The Holy Spirit moved upon the hearts of the villagers, and soon a little group of six converts was united to form the first Christian church in that land. The communion set from England was delayed in the mail, but on the very day before the first commemoration of the Lord's Supper, the set arrived. I love that story. I love the picture of honoring God in their endeavors. I even love the fact that at the end, you expect that it would say like thousands were converted, but they had a group of six, and yet it was worth it. Because six lives were changed, the beginning of a church forming in that land because of their faithfulness. Because God had called them to their ministry, and because they chose to honor God with their lives and to remain faithful and to trust Him fruit was born. So friends, as we kick off 2023, may this be the beginning of a year that we glorify God in all that we do. May we fix our eyes upon Christ as our sustainer, our Savior, and may we live fully for Him this year. So in order to do that, let us begin by remembering Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, as we come to this table before us.